How would your present life look different today if you had absolute confidence in the future? If you had absolute confidence in the future, how would it change the way your life looked today? I mean, think about it. if you had, uh, had seen, let's say, what Apple Computer was going to become back in 1984, right? You would have invested because you would have been a millionaire today, right? Uh, or if you think about what could I have avoided had I seen the future and seen what was coming, Now, some of you adults, you've seen photographs of yourself from, say, 25 years ago. And maybe you're thinking, okay, looking back on it, that mullet wasn't such a great idea. Or that top wasn't such a great idea, right? And and you could have avoided that had you seen what was coming, had you seen the future. Maybe there was a relationship that you could have avoided. If you had only seen what was coming... You could have, in that moment, made a different decision about that relationship. Or maybe you could have never taken that first drink, knowing where it's gotten you today. Or never taken that first hit of whatever it was, knowing what you know now. Now, of course, that's fantasy, right? I mean, the reality is that we all know what it's like to look headlong into an uncertain future. We all know what it's like to make decisions in the present without all the information. And so oftentimes we make those decisions based on fear of the future. Or sometimes we, we make decisions and it leads us to panic because we don't know what awaits us around the next bend. Or maybe it leads us to despair as we have chosen poorly, right? We're only human, right? This is, our, this is the limitation of, of being human. But how might your today look different for you if you had absolute confidence in a God who knew the future? What might your today look like if you had absolute confidence in the God of the future. Well, we come to this interesting part of Abraham's story. There's, there's a lot of questions among scholars as to why the story is here. And maybe as McCabe read it, maybe you thought the same thing. Why do I care about a story about a treaty between Abraham and Abimelech? Well, it certainly is going to get us ready for what is going to happen in the next chapter, chapter 22, which Adam will preach on next week. And it provides, if you'll remember from chapter 20, we looked at Abimelech there as well, and this provides kind of a bookend to this character that is called Abimelech. Remember, Abimelech is, uh, he's the king, he's the head of, of, this, uh, of this region, of this area uh, in which Abraham is sojourning. He's wandering, right? Uh, he's a stranger. Abraham is in this land that belongs to Abimelech. And so Abimelech is this, uh, this kingly figure in this land in which Abraham is living as an alien, and yet it's the same land that God is promising to give him and to his descendants. 
The only thing we really know about this event is that it, it, it happens at some point after the events that have preceded it. That's all we really know about it. And uh, uh, we don't really know when it happens, just that it happens after what we've talked about before. But what we'll see here is that Abraham's strength is, or Abraham's faith is strengthened by his belief that God is the God not just of the past and not just of the present, but he's the God of the future. And it's that vision uh, of God that is going to sustain him through the highs and the lows of living in the land that God had promised him as a stranger, as an alien, as a sojourner. And that will sustain him next week uh, through a, a test of his faith that is bigger than anything he could have imagined. So Abraham is living as a, a stranger in the land that God has promised to give him. And that creates problems. In this particular day and age, personal rights were not that big of a deal. Uh, personal rights were, were not that important. But if you were a stranger, if you were an alien, if you were a sojourner in a land, in particular, you had no rights. You were completely at the mercy of the ruler of that particular land. It, it was not good to be a wanderer or to be a stranger in this particular time. And so in the lead up to this, uh, to this treaty, there are a couple of things going on simultaneously. First of all, if you noticed from the reading, Abimelech recognizes something about Abraham. Abimelech recognizes that God is with Abraham and that God has blessed Abraham. Think back to chapter 20. Back in chapter 20, remember, uh, Abraham comes into Abimelech's land and he lies to Abimelech about his wife Sarah, probably out of fear of what might happen to him. And Abimelech has a dream. And if you look in verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, Behold, you're a dead man because the woman whom you have taken, uh, she is another man's wife. And then down in verses 6 and 7, God said to him in the dream, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Verse 7, now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. So see, Abimelech knows that, uh, that Abraham has been blessed by God. He is rich. He is powerful. And so Abimelech sees this stranger not as an ordinary wanderer. He sees him almost as a peer, as someone that he feels like, I need to make a deal with this guy. And we see that uh, in verse 23 of our, of our chapter, chapter 21. Now swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I've dealt kindly with you... So you deal kindly with me. Abimelech recognizes that Abraham is someone that it would be good for him to make a deal with. So that they can exist, coexist peacefully with one another. Now at the same time that's going on, Abraham 
is feeling squeezed and sinned against by Abimelech and his men. Abraham has built a well, or probably he didn't. His people built a well in the desert. And lo and behold, the state has come in and they've taken it from him. They've, they've confiscated the well that he dug. Now, digging a well wasn't easy uh, in the middle of a desert, as you can probably imagine. You've got to find the water first, probably deep underground. And then you have to dig the well to extract the water. And out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, uh, it would have been very easy for a, a stranger, a sojourner to be taken advantage of. In fact, this isn't the last time that we're going to see a well being disputed by a patriarch or, or, and, a, and a, a ruler of the, the land. And since neither of these men really trust each other, something has to give. If you remember the story of Abraham and Abimelech, how Abraham deceived Abimelech in, in chapter 20, you can hear uh, there's, a, there's a, a tone in Abimelech's voice in verse 23 when he asks him to sign this treaty. He asked him not to deal falsely with him. Why? Well, because Abraham dealt falsely with him earlier in 20. There's not a lot of trust going back and forth. In verse 25, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water, the way that's worded there, it isn't as if Abraham has gone to Abimelech once about this well. The way it's written, it seems to indicate Abraham's been on to Abimelech and his men. There's been a continual conflict about who owns this particular well. It's not the first time. And so there isn't a lot of trust between these two power players. And so when Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, let's make a deal, Abraham says, yeah, okay, uh, but you need to act in good faith. What about this well? Both of these men see the benefit in this treaty together. And incidentally, this may be why we see mention of Phicol, the commander of his army, uh, of Abimelech's army. Uh, this thing has become a, a thing, right? This dispute over the well, Abimelech versus Abraham, has become a thing. And so maybe now we've even got the armed forces involved in this particular dispute. Something has to give. And that gives rise to this treaty. And both of these men understand that this would be a good thing. So they determine together to enter into what's going to become a kind of a generationally binding treaty with one another. This is a deal that's going to provide both of them with some security going forward. So look in verse 27. Abraham is going to take sheep and oxen. He's going to give them to Abimelech. And the two men are going to, and the term is, cut a covenant. And we say cut a covenant together because it involves the cutting of animals. There are animals that are sacrificed. Uh, uh, and each man is essentially saying, may it be done to me as it was done to this animal if I break the terms that I've agreed to in this covenant. So Abraham and Abimelech feel that this is a good thing for us to uh, sign a, a binding treaty with one another. And so they cut a covenant. Both of them thinking uh, about 
the future. Abimelech in verse 23, thinking about his children and the descendants of his children, that, that there might be peace between Abraham and his descendants and Abimelech's descendants. And Abraham thinking about the provision of water and sustenance for those that will come after him in getting this well. As part of the deal, uh, we see in verses 28 and following, as part of the deal, there's an agreement that's entered into regarding the ownership of the, the well. Verses 28 and 30, Abraham set aside. So after they have the sheep and oxen for the sacrifice of the covenant, after they cut the covenant, Abraham sets aside an additional seven lambs for Abimelech in order to resolve once and for all this issue of ownership of the well. It's as if Abraham says, okay, look, Abimelech, this isn't your well. I dug the well. But let's assume for the sake of argument that this is your well, I'm going to buy it from you. Here's seven lambs. This is what Abraham says. And so Abimelech accepts the lambs uh, as an acknowledgement that, okay, this well now belongs to Abraham. And then he perhaps even goes beyond that and agrees to leave the area altogether. So we see uh, in verse 32, they make a covenant at Beersheba and Abimelech and Phicol rise up and they return to the land of the Philistines. So we have peace between Abraham and Abimelech and the land of promise that God has given to him. But in this, Abraham is seeing something bigger here. And we would do well to see it as well. Abraham is seeing here that God is once again being faithful to his promise. God is once again being faithful to the covenant that he has made with Abraham. What has God given Abraham here? Well, he's given him peace with the ruler of the land. He's given him peace with Abimelech in the land of promise. He's given him provision of uh, sustenance through the well for generations to come. In, in that, God is going to bless Abimelech and give him peace through Abraham. Uh, God is keeping his covenant promise. Remember back in chapter 12, the ones who love you, I will love. The ones who bless you, I will bless. The ones who curse you, I will curse. So Abimelech is being blessed through Abraham in, as God responds to the covenant promise that he's made. So Abraham sees that God is at work in this particular instance. And we know that because of the way that Abraham responds. He responds to God's faithfulness with worship. Look at verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham doesn't praise his own diplomatic skill. He doesn't pat himself on the back and say, look, I'm so rich. I'm so powerful. 
that Abimelech had to deal with me. He had to take account of me. I drove him to the table, and I got this, uh, this great deal from him. No. Abraham recognizes that God has once again blessed him in response to his promise. Abraham has seen too much of the goodness of God not to, uh, to see God working in this moment. Though he's a stranger and an alien, God has brought him peace and provision in this land of promise. And this place of oath, Beersheba, uh, which means place of the oath, uh, creatively enough, uh, this place, Beersheba, is going to become kind of home base for the patriarchs in the years to come. But God has done this. God has provided for him in keeping with his promise. And so Abraham does something that will help him remember what God has done. He plants a tree. Now in previous chapters, remember that Abraham would have built an altar and would have called upon the name of the Lord, offered praise to God. Here, he plants a tree as a way to commemorate what God has done in being faithful to the covenant promise that he's made. This is a way for him to remember the blessing of God's faithfulness to his promise, the planting of this tree. And then he calls upon the name of the Lord. That is, he worships God publicly attributing all that he has to God and to God's faithfulness to his promise. So in this event, Abraham sees the continued blessing of the God who is in control of the future, who is working all of his plan out in accordance with what he wants, moving all things to his appointed end. And it's in, it's that recognition of God's faithfulness in the present that is going to strengthen Abraham's faith for the future. So we're introduced here to a new name for God. Look at this. Abraham plants a tamarisk tree, calls upon the name of the Lord, that's Yahweh, the everlasting God. We haven't seen this name before in Genesis. This is new. This is a new aspect of God's character. El Olam. The eternal God. But there's a particular nuance of this word olam. It's not just, you know, when we think of eternal, oftentimes we, we move to the past and say, okay, well, he's always been. And that's true, of course. He is, he's always been. But this particular word olam has a particular focus on the future. It's not simply that he's always been. It is that he is the everlasting one. So everything that he's been in the past, he will continue to be in the future. So he is the everlasting God. He is the, the forever God. He is, in one sense, the God of the future. So Yahweh is the God of the past. But even more than that, he's the God of what is to come as well. And so if he is the forever God, he will forever continue to be faithful to his promises. Do you see? So as Abraham has seen God be faithful in the past, as he has seen God be faithful to his promise in the present with this treaty, 
So he trusts that God will be forever faithful to his promise in the future going forward. And that perspective, that understanding that the God of the past is the God of the present is the same God who knows and and moves all things in the future, changes everything. Do you see what Abraham saw here? In a a world where all Abraham has is the promise. He's a stranger. He's a sojourner. He's a wanderer. He, he, He owns the rights to a well, but he doesn't own any property. He doesn't have a homestead. All he has is the promise of a forever faithful God. He recognizes That strength to persevere comes only from the one who has made the promise. God has provided for him because God is faithful. And God would continue to provide for him because God will continue to be faithful to his promise. Because that's who he is. He is the God of the future. He is the forever faithful God. And so look, we have to see what Abraham saw if we are going to sojourn in faith in this life as strangers and aliens here. Followers of Jesus who hold to nothing except a promise from a faithful God who will never fail to keep His word. Look, We face difficulty and uncertainty every day in this world, don't we? In which we live as strangers and aliens. Jesus said we we will have trouble in this world. Jesus said if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. We, we We are left out. We are ridiculed. We're denied certain things as strangers and aliens in this world in which we walk by faith and not by sight. We know what it is for life to be fine one moment and completely turned upside down the next. We know what's that like, what that is like. And yet every day, if we have the eyes to see it, We can see God being faithful and sustaining us in His grace. We can see Him giving us what we need from moment to moment uh, to persevere in faith. If you've placed your trust in, in Jesus and received His offer of life through the cross, every moment we can rest that we will be forever His, that, that none of us will slip through his fingers, that he is able to hold us fast no matter what. And so as strangers and aliens holding to the promise of a forever faithful God, how do we encourage one another in this forward-looking faith? Well, let's just consider three things that we see here, I think, in this story. First is that we cultivate the discipline of paying attention. We cultivate the discipline of paying attention. Abraham was encouraged because he noticed what God had done. He made the connection that that what God had done 
was not a result of himself. It was the result of God being faithful to his promise. And so in paying attention, we're able to step back and to see, do you know what? God has sustained me. He has in his grace given me what I need. So when was the last time you or I just kind of stepped back and paused and noticed the myriad of graces that God has extended to us? I think in the old Jewish Sabbath prayer that days pass and years vanish and we walk sightless among miracles. Every day, unless we're careful to pay attention, we walk with hands over our eyes, not able to see the ways that God is faithful to us. And so cultivate the discipline of paying attention. One of the things we see Abraham doing here, when we see one of those big things that God does, he marks it. He, he commemorates it by the planting of a tree. And so when God does something big in your life, find a way to commemorate it. Because look, every time Abraham sees that tree going forward, he remembers God was faithful. And in the same way, when God is faithful, when he shows his grace to you in some way, and you mark it, every time you see that thing, you are reminded, you know what? God didn't forget. He didn't forget. He did this. In his faithfulness. And guess what that gives you? It gives you courage as you face into an uncertain future. And finally, as Abraham publicly proclaimed as worship in response to what God had done, so should we. You know, we're going to have a time of tea and coffee later. We're going to fellowship with one another. There was a rugby match yesterday, so there'll be a lot of talking about that. But what if you seasoned that conversation with a few stories of how God has been gracious to you this past week? You encouraged your brother or sister. You know what? God didn't forget his promise to me. I felt his presence. I felt that he was with me. He encouraged me in this way this week. That's how we encourage one another to persevere as we remind one another that God is at work still. We'll just look at verse 34. And Abram, Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Abraham continues his sojourning in the land. He has a well. He has the rights to, to uh, water, and that's it. That's all he has. In the land that God has promised to give him and all of his descendants, all he has is the rights to a well. But he is sojourning, knowing that he has bound himself to the forever God, to the God that is forever faithful to his promises. The God who has proven himself faithful time and time and time again. And he knows that God will continue to do so in the future. Now he's going to need that strength and that courage for what's about to come. 
And without preaching Adam's sermon for him uh, next week, his faith is going to be tested in an unbelievable circumstance. How is he going to get through that? Will this faith in a forever God hold in the midst of an unbelievable test? Sorry, Adam. It will. It will. In Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19, we see by faith Abraham, when he was tested, he did that impossible thing. He offered up Isaac, through whom it was said, through, or, or of whom it was said, through Isaac shall offspring be named. How did he do it? Because he saw something. He saw something. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did. He received him back. See, Abraham saw something. What did he see? He saw that God had been faithful to his promise in the past. He saw that God had been faithful to his promise in the present. And he saw that God would continue to be faithful to his promise in the future. He is the forever God, the God who is forever faithful. And just as we close today, let me ask you, what impossible thing, what is God calling you to trust Him in today? What are you staring into today that God is asking you to trust and to say, look, God, you've been faithful in the past. You've been faithful in the present. And you know what? I believe that you are going to be faithful in the future. And so I'm going to make this choice. And I'm going to go forward trusting in you. What is he calling you to trust him for today? He's good for it. Because he is the forever God. The everlasting God. The God who is always faithful to His promises. Let's pray. Father, You are good. We recognize that this morning. Even the fact that we are here today together is proof that You have sustained us. Father, we went to sleep last night and You woke us up this morning. Father, You gave us the, the, the food and the water that we needed to survive. Father, even as we have sung earlier, Father, our, our, our hope springs eternal. We are never without hope in this world in which we sojourn and walk as strangers. You are with us, and you are faithful, and you will forever be faithful to your word of promise. And so we thank you. Father, you have promised that you will give life to any who will look upon the Lord Jesus in faith. To any who will look upon Him and recognize that in His death there is forgiveness of their sin and the offer of life as adopted sons and daughters. You've promised that and you are faithful to that. So Father, if there are those here today that have never placed their trust in Jesus, would today be the day that they would see the promise 
and they would believe that you are faithful, that you will save them through Christ if they call upon His name. Father, for those that are staring into an uncertain future, Father, would you give them confidence that you've been there and that you are faithful. Help them to follow you no matter the cost. Give us courage. Give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen.